Welcome to the Kickstarter Journeys podcast brought to you by Fundamental Games. Each episode will provide you with some insight and opinions about successfully funded Kickstarter projects from the creators themselves. Here's your host, Wes Woodbury, ready to learn about another successful journey from the popular crowdfunding platform. Enjoy! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kickstarter Journeys. Today, we have a very interesting journey by Jeff Chin. He's part of Road to Infamy Games, and we're going to be talking about Canvas, which uh, has done really well on on its most recent Kickstarter, and um, just thrilled to get a chance to talk to him about it. So, hello, Jeff. How are you today? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thank you. The COVID's still spreading, but it's um, not as... uh, crazy as it was near the beginning at least where i am anyway i know things are a bit different in uh, certain parts of the states but sounds like you're getting out there a little bit more as well yeah yeah it's been been calming down a little bit getting out a little more so uh starting to feel a little more normal here great well jeff i'm, I'm thrilled to talk to you about canvas for anybody who doesn't know what canvas is it is a card-based game but it really takes a different level of I guess, components. It has transparent cards. It creates unique illustrations through different layers, a real spatial puzzle game for one to five players. And your campaign raised $713,000 US. It was uh, on a budget of 14000 or a goal of 14000 and just just did some astounding numbers there. And I just absolutely loved the video and the, the layout of it. And I'll be talking to you some questions through that. And so first of all, congratulations on such an amazing Kickstarter. And um I want to talk a little bit about uh, kind of how you got to where you are, and then we would talk about Canvas, if that's all right with you. Yeah, it sounds great. Awesome. So you started with Kickstarter uh, several years ago. I think it was back in 2015 with a game that was actually based on the title of your company called Road to Infamy, and you've made five other games before Canvas. And I was just curious, something I always asked for my, my uh, guests about is what drew you to Kickstarter and what's kept you in it over these years? I actually heard about Kickstarter from my cousin. He has a playing card company called Seasons Playing Cards, and he's had some real major success with uh, um, kind of creating this uh, solo venture and selling his uh, self-designed playing cards on Kickstarter. And so um, he was kind of a big inspiration for me and made me realize like, this is, this is something you can do, right? Like you don't need to, to work for a big publisher. You can be a self-starter. And so that was, that was truly my inspiration to put out my first game road to infamy. And while it was a small campaign, we had just under like 400 backers. Like that was such a rewarding experience, just knowing that like I could, come up with something it could be funded it could be made and turned into a product and that kind of uh um really turned me on to this idea of being self-employed being a game designer and publisher and and uh, i've been doing it since yeah you've had uh, like i said five other projects some of them uh, i've done your first two did about eighteen thousand. uh there's one where i think um just kind of a different concept didn't quite make it but then you followed that up with the amazing crypt which was over two hundred thousand. I think that was your biggest project up until that point. How did uh, the development of Crypt and the success of it impact your future projects? Yeah, Crypt uh, was was a huge kind of turning point for for us. Uh, Road to Infamy Games. Uh, prior to that, it was mostly just a hobby. Still, it was something that me and my my roommates and uh, we, we were just kind of doing after work for for fun and for a little extra cash, but really just as a, a passion project. And then as soon is uh, as soon as we kind of landed on, on Crypt and saw some you know actual 
positive response and popularity with that, like we were finally able to turn our, our company into a, a full-time venture and we became full-time publishers with that. So that was, that was a really amazing, amazing turning point for us. So Crypt is a, a very special, a special game to us. Yeah, I bet. I mean, uh, 11,600 backers, that was, as Malcolm Gladwell would call it, that would be your tipping point. You probably had put in almost 10,000 hours in game design and game playing. Yeah, oh, that. for sure. <laughs> That's fantastic. And 2,800 comments, I mean, your backers were engaged in that game, and that really must have been what moved you forward and uh, must be a proud moment. And you followed that up with a, a little bit smaller title, and uh, I was curious how you felt about um, doing After Nova right after Crypt and seeing kind of how those results varied before we get into your mega hit canvas. Yeah, we've definitely gone through some like real major highs and lows, right? To go from Bowties was our party game prior to, to Crypt, and that yeah, didn't yeah. even fund to, to go to Crypt with 11,000 backers. And then after Nova, which was, I, I want to say it's something like 1,800 backers. So it's like we, we've been all over the map, you know, even after hitting a, a big success. It's totally possible to, you know, kind of fall fall back into a standard level of uh, success and number of backers for a game. And so that was, to be to be honest, it was, it was a little disappointing. Like we thought we had struck gold with Crypt and, you know, you kind of expect like, oh, it can only go up from here, right? Or, you know, kind of... Yeah, yeah land in that area so it was it was a little bit surprising but we definitely learned a lot about why crypt was successful and it it's just because you you create one hit doesn't mean every everything you touch is going to um is going to be as successful like we you have to be able to identify specifically what about your product is grabbing people um in the case of crypt it was largely um it was uh, price point and packaging design and kind of i think the the theme and the artwork like really really drew people in versus after nova um we didn't have much uh, as far as like special components or or stretch goals and so from a from a glance it didn't grab people as immediately as like the nine dollar price tag of crypt does you know yeah yeah they, they had to really be committed and it wasn't um i think the um the concept of it wasn't as attractive as as a concept you had behind crypt and of course for the following up of canvas but what is inspiring is that it didn't stop you from going all in on your next venture and so we'll talk about that about canvas i mean uh when i saw canvas on kickstarter i thought wow this thing just looks so different than anything i've seen as a board game before and i mean we've all seen card games and we've all seen wooden tokens but uh the transparent cards that i've also seen in a game like mystic veil you put to a whole different use so i was curious what the kind of the game design process was behind that before we get into how it succeeds yeah like you mentioned mystic veil is a is a really great uh, transparent card game deck building game um i have i've played that and i remember while playing that having this thought that I, I expected the the artwork to interact with with the other cards as I was playing the game, and it it doesn't in in Mystic Veil. It does some other interesting mechanism things, but it doesn't really build on itself artistically. And I was thinking about that for months, and it was like the week of of Gen Con. Um, I, I told my my game design partner Andrew about. It. I was like, I think. I want to make a transparent card game that's just based on on the artwork and overlaying artwork, and 
<laughs> and our first talks, he, he thought that was absolutely crazy. He was like, there's no way you can layer these cards together and make it always look good. And it took us forever to come up with something stylistically that did. Um, and the original uh, kind of concepts of the game, I was leaning towards a very abstract, you know, Jackson Pollock's paint splattery style. So to, you know, in order to guarantee that it would like look still that look like a sounds painting. like an expansion jeff <laughs> right yeah i mean we've been talking about like art styles for for future expansions what you know kind of what what else you can do with this game and that's that's one of the beautiful things about about canvas is like um one of the you know kind of the major appeals of the game is the artwork and that can really kind of drive uh future expansions and themes and mechanisms that go along with that as well so that's that's kind of really exciting and that's something we were already brainstorming even though the uh the kickstarter campaign finished you know just uh, maybe a little over a month ago and we're already kind of thinking about what more can be done with this uh you know artwork on transparent cards when you have a hit like that, I mean, you can't help but think of what can I do to keep it going. I mean, it's uh, when the forge is hot, you got to strike. And uh, you, you know, I was thinking, what about um, Michelangelo and Picasso? How could that look together? That was, there's so many options you guys have opened up uh, to such a, a unique game. So well done. And uh, like just kind of thinking about that and how it pertains to other people's Kickstarter board games. Are there any games you can think of that had really a special component or mechanic that made you think, wow, there's no reason that couldn't have funded i mean uh, i talked to somebody about everdell the other day and the tree concept was just amazing but i'm sure there's some others that maybe inspired you yeah everdell is beautiful that like that is a game you just look at and you're like i gotta play that you know <laughs> yeah uh, so i i have a buddy justin vickers um who who made a game called wavelength not too long ago um and that's a game that where the uh I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but you're, you, you, it comes with this device, this kind of screen that you has a, a dial on it, right? And you're talking to other players, and it's a social party game where you're trying to turn this dial on a spectrum from, you know, most something to least something, right? So you, you might draw a card and it says something like uh, coldest to hottest, right? And then you have to give a clue, um, something that'll land somewhere in the middle of that spectrum and get your teammates to guess uh, where the dial should be between coldest and hottest. And he came up with this really clever dial mechanism that has the shield that covers it. You flip it open and it's like the perfect centerpiece for a party game. It's very eye-catching. It's very practical. You place it in the box. And so to me, that's kind of like a perfect uh, like kind of game gimmick. Yeah, it sounds really well. And is that something it, um, he had done on Kickstarter, or was that something done separate to a publisher? He did that on Kickstarter. Right on. Wavelength. I'll have to look that one up. It sounds familiar, but uh, there's so many games that come out. that, uh, and, and I look at every one of them at least once, but sometimes it blurs together. Yeah. There's another one that, uh, another card game, they had a really cool concept, but it didn't get... It, I think maybe the gameplay just wasn't behind it, and that's where your game excelled. Uh, this game had a, um, it might even still be live for all I know, but it has a um, ultraviolet light mechanic, so the cards mm. change when you have ultraviolet light on it, and that's how the game works. But I think um, you really have to have a, a good game behind it, and you guys got a great comment from Rado that says, this is excellent. This combines so many things that I love. This really seems like a simple game, but it's deceptive. It's really deep. And I think when you get somebody like Router behind you that can say a comment like that, I mean, that can just propel your campaign uh, leagues beyond. Uh, what kind of strategies do you use to get reviewers and previewers to support your games? Um, 
to, to that kind of success? For Canvas, we decided um, we just we wanted to uh, get one really strong review. I know I, I always see Kickstarter campaigns, and you know they'll have ten, twelve reviews, and I end up just kind of scrolling past them. I'm like, okay, yeah, a lot of people said stuff, but like because there's so many, I almost like it doesn't catch my eye. And so I had the thought this time, I was like, who who's like the most important reviewer to me? And if they said something, um, I would, I would take their word for it. You know, I'd look deeper into that game if they, if they were truly a fan of it. So, I mean, Rado's reviews are, are always something that I, I go back to. And he really has a great vision for looking into mechanics, even after just playing it a few times. Like he always has some really great insights. So we decided to send him a copy. And fortunately, like he, he really enjoyed it. You know, we, we had reached out to him in the past for some of our other games and yeah. we often make, uh, our, our wheelhouse is kind of like more uh, entry entry level, easy to pick up, easy to learn games. So in the past, he's told us he he wasn't interested in in some of our previous games. But for Canvas, he you know we we sent him a video and he was like, oh yeah, I gotta I gotta play that. So um, we're That's we're awesome. really excited to uh, to send him a copy of the game and he was excited to to play it. And so that was that was a a huge help for the campaign, I think. Yeah, and it's just that when he when he gives those phrases, and I'm, I don't know if he does them intentionally or not, but he just seems like a genuinely happy, enthralled player when he gets a game he likes. But just to be able to use that quote in a, a Facebook ad or a post or something here and there just goes a long, long way. Not to mention his league of followers that just watch his videos to begin with. Right, yeah, we, we love him for his enthusiasm, right? Like, <laughs> uh, he, right. he's really great. Yeah, he's fun to watch. Another thing you had on your Kickstarter, and some games can pull it off well, and some games can struggle with it. And I was curious how it worked with yours. You provided a PNP, but I saw how do, how do you do a PNP for transparent cards? And I actually I didn't download it to look at it, but I was curious how that went across with some of your people that tested it out. Yeah, that's a that's a very good question. It's really hard to prototype and print and play transparent card games. So what it is is um, you cut out kind of. Uh, poker-sized cards, but they have tabs on the bottom, and you have to cut off the the two tabs at the bottom of each card so that when you do layer them on top of each other, it kind of simulates the transparent effect of revealing or covering up different icons on the bottom of the card. Now, obviously, you know, with uh, print and play, you can't simulate the artwork actually layering on top of the other artwork, but as that's all, you know, kind of thematic and aesthetic, um, at least you can kind of sequence the icons and you know score your various paintings that way um so that's the same way we had been prototyping the game before we ever received uh, a transparent card version of the game so we have been we've been working with uh, paper cutout versions for a long time before the the campaign started no that makes a lot of sense so how did you feel when you so you play tested without transparent cards how did it feel when you got your first prototype then Oh man, it it felt like a different game. Like I, it was so hard to explain to playtesters. Like just pretend like this makes a pretty picture, you know? yeah. and people are like, okay, I don't I don't see that working, you know. And but people are like, yeah, yeah, the puzzle part's fun, but I don't know how you're going to do the artwork part. Like kept being the kind of the the response to that. And so it was a really 
big challenge to keep moving forward and designing this game just like knowing in the back of my mind that like this has to work like we have to we have to physically make a workable transparent card version of the game um, in order to see if this will actually come together but I believe that this this will work and once we got the first transparent card versions of the game like oh man it was a world of difference it's just so much more fun and people getting into just kind of like the artistic element of the game and people wanting to pick up cards and play with them before and after the game just to see how they look together you know so yeah. it, was, it was a very cool experience that's great and um and so you showcase it very very well in the video that you did for canvas and the kickstarter video some people don't even click on it some people just watch the first 10 seconds but uh, i felt drawn into it it felt like i was watching a tv commercial just the way that the slow pans of the camera and the zoom and the bright visuals and the, the text on the screen and just the, the finesse of it all whoever did that for you did a fantastic job and, and the phrase in canvas you are the artist was just like the icing on the cake so how much do you feel that intro video helped promote your game and does that inspire you to do videos like that in the future yeah we've always put a lot of weight into our our video pitch going all the way back to our first game road to infamy um to be honest we probably put too much weight into our our first game so i kind of come from a a little bit of a film animation background myself um i went to vancouver film school um, where i studied character animation and uh i worked for a advertising company where i was an editor and director and so i definitely have a a lot more attachment to kind of the video element of uh the, the marketing aspect of kickstarter so our first ever project road to infamy we we kind of made a straight up like movie trailer for it which was very over the top and we probably didn't need to do that but uh um it was a really high quality pitch and we've kind of always uh worked with that kind of level of high quality pitch um since then we've kind of toned it down and focused more on the components which i think is really important so for canvas we had a, a buddy his name's alistair revis um he he's also a, a kind of a film buff he's he's a really great uh, DP and he kind of he shot this whole thing in slow motion in just a quick afternoon so like it's it's totally possible to make a high quality video in you know in just a day it doesn't need to be tons of resources it doesn't need to be expensive film sets like we shot that video in my living room on my coffee table so um, <laughs> yeah it, it was probably two hours worth of filming and then I edited the whole thing together so like you don't need to have a crazy budget you don't need to I don't know cameras on on phones are so advanced like they all have slow-mo features and stuff like that that is for a kickstarter video that's I would say that's more than sufficient you just kind of have to have the right people with the right eyes you know looking at your your video project and making the the best they can but like I guess what I'm saying overall is you don't need to overspend you just need to be concise you need to have it look professional enough and uh, that that can go a long way yeah, and you probably had it kind of pre-written and planned out uh, oh, what you expected to see out of the video, especially if you have that kind of background. And, you know, you did that at the very end. You, you added that little piece where she just hangs the board game on the wall. That was fantastic, too. So whose <laughs> idea was that? Um, that that was uh, another buddy of ours. His name's Rusty Sosha. He's uh, another game designer. He worked on a game called Taco Ninja Adventure. Uh, have to credit him with the the amazing idea of hanging uh, a box on the wall and treating the, the 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 game as a piece of art itself. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is too perfect for the game we're working on. So um, yeah. owe him a lot for that idea for sure. He's uh, he's a really clever, really really great designer, and uh, he's got a 
uh, a Kickstarter hopefully coming up soon. He's been, he's been working on it's like a word party game. And so I'm excited to see what he does with that. No, I, I love that. And I think your video just did you wonders. Anybody that hasn't watched that video, uh, that's how you do a Kickstarter video. And there's very little in your face, very, very little selling the game. And it was just selling the, the concept and um, the imagery just did wonders for you. Um, and then I noticed um, many Kickstarters will have that kind of uh, trough in the middle and the beginning and the end, but uh, usually the last two days don't exceed the first two days. But in the case of yours, you actually raised $160,000 in two days, the final two days, which was more than your first two days. So I'm just curious if you had any idea that you'd actually finish off that strongly and what might have caused that massive spike at the end. Yeah, Kickstarter is a weird thing. Um I mean, you were kind of saying this, but like, you know, every Kickstarter kind of follows a trend of, uh, you have your spikes at the beginning and the end. Um, and people are, you have your people that are really excited at the beginning of the project. They want to be the first one in. They want to, um, be in, engaged in the comments. They want to be a part of the, the journey of the, the Kickstarter campaign. And then you have your other type of backer who they just want to know, like, tell me at the end, how many stretch goals did we unlock? Like, yeah. does this game still look like it's worth it? Like, they don't they don't need to see all the updates and so you get all those people jumping in at the end of the campaign but um something that was really a strong point for this campaign more so than our other campaigns was we had a, a large number of people kind of subscribing um for to be reminded when the campaign was going to launch and end um, yeah. and so i think we had a much bigger turnout than usual as as far as like people uh, subscribing. And so I think a lot of people found it through, uh, Facebook, various Facebook groups. And, um, we've been building this mailing list for some time now. And I think, especially after the crypt campaign, we got a lot of people jumping on our mailing list. And so I think a lot of people were kind of waiting for the, those final 48 hours to, to figure out if they wanted to jump in. I noticed that you had a, a deluxe version. I don't know if you had many upgrades near the end, but your extra component that kind of changed the cardboard token into a wooden mini canvas those are pretty cool too yeah yeah uh we did unlock the the wooden ribbons was like our final uh big stretch goal that i think probably pushed a lot of people to go from like the the base game up to the premium component tier so i think that was a really strong way to to end the campaign so we felt pretty good about that right and your campaign actually um didn't really have a trough so to speak i mean it looks like it if you look at any kickstarter graph you see it but if you look at your day-to-day i don't think there was a day where you had less than ten thousand, and your average was about twenty thousand dollars every single day and most campaigns um struggle to even get that on their launch day so I mean, really amazing. If anybody wants to see how a Kickstarter can and could perform, you guys have showed that quite well. So I wanted to know a little bit, maybe, um, I mean, you guys have proven that you've got a history of game creation. You've bounced back from struggles with bow ties and, and a little bit uh, kind of a, a lower curve for After Nova with the super amazing canvas. Uh, what kind of games is it that's inspired you to create games like this? What are you in, um, uh, is it Andrew you said, play? Yeah, yeah. Um, Andrew and I try and play new new games all the time. Like we find as game designers, that's that's honestly the the best way to learn and grow as a designer. It's like that's like our homework, right? We we try and play new stuff. We had a good group with uh, Ben Rossett, the designer of uh, Between Two Cities and Between Two Castles. We for a long time we were meeting up with him every week or two to to just play something new that none of us have ever played before. Um, so that was like a really great habit to to get in as designers. And then we would just talk about like new mechanisms and, and that's, 
that's honestly the best way to just like inspire designs, right? There's so many ways to accomplish similar result, but what works best for your design? And the only way to truly know that is to see what's been done and why does that work? So yeah, we, we pull a lot of inspiration from games that we play. With Canvas, the, the, the card selection mechanism is uh, is very much inspired by by Small Worlds. is well, you know one of my favorite games of all time. Yeah. That's how you select the the races and the the abilities in Small Worlds. Is you you kind of pay to access the race and ability tokens deeper down the row. And what's what's great about that market selection system is it creates uh, there might be some races that get passed over at a certain point people have placed enough coins people enough people have passed over it place the coin on it where it will become worth it to someone and that's so important to the canvas system because um, certain cards become more valuable or unvaluable depending on what scoring cards you place with so we needed a card selection mechanism that really added value to cards that normally wouldn't have value um and so that ended up being the absolute perfect way to do that that's awesome and, and finding just finding those nuggets of mechanics from other games it's cool you found that from small world and that same mechanic reminds me of one of the reasons why i love lords of Waterdeep. is you might think you'd never want to go to somebody's special tile but once it sat around for three turns it suddenly has a huge value to you and just a small perk to somebody else so uh, it's neat how those mechanics can vary from game to game and just add that extra level of gameplay that you wouldn't expect and i saw on your page that you and andrew really enjoy scythe what is it about scythe that you like so much oh man um yeah we're we're huge scythe fans um we're big fans of jamie stegmeyer and stonemeyer games and everything they put out but scythe has always been really special to us i'm a big kind of puzzle gamer which is part of the reason why i designed canvas right that's kind of the the style of game i enjoy and to me scythe creates this really brilliant puzzle while also being this very thematic euro area control game and it's so interesting that it it kind of combines those elements that usually don't necessarily go together Um, but there's such intense planning and trying to figure out what action will lead to the next action which will you know give you the the power to do this which will decrease your cost to do that and it's a really very clever game but the best mechanism in, in scythe is truly that that top row action followed by the bottom row action and chaining those things together and realizing you know what will lead to to what outcome and how to use those that output to put it back into your engine and so um to me that's that's just uh one of the the most perfect games that i've ever played yeah, I do love that upper bottom choice, and you get to alternate. Anytime you play the game, you can play it in a different way. And um, Gloomhaven, which I haven't played, has a similar top and bottom thought process where you got to decide what's good on the top for one card, what's good on the bottom for another card. So anytime games give players choices like that, it just triggers your mind to just want to explore all your options. So I can understand why you love it. I've played it with my son a few times. Considered the expansion, but we haven't played it enough to, to make it worthwhile to invest more money into it just yet. But one day, maybe. So, Jeff, you've come a long, long way in the gaming industry. You've got all these games under your belt. Canvas is a hit. I'm sure you've got more games that you may have coming up in the future. Um, is there anything that you wish to leave a mark on in the hobby based on what you've been doing? I guess, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's such a big question. Uh, and it's something I'd never really thought about before. But uh, I guess, I don't know. Like, if, if I could just make 
make one one game that people compare future designs to that would be like the coolest feeling ever to like be sitting down playing a game and someone goes like oh yeah this game it's it's like canvas right like that's the that's the quintessential one that they think of you know we all we all have our games like that oh yeah that this is like Catan. oh yeah this is like small world but like how cool would that be if you could make a game that just it, it feels like the the core game of its genre right and it inspires future designs that would just be like such a, a rewarding feeling so having that game where you are the reference point, kind of like we just talked about Scythe and Lord of the Water, you would be the, the canvas of that. Exactly, exactly. It's a great answer, and I like that. All right, well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jeff. I really hope that your Kickstarter journey with Canvas and all the games before it and our discussions about it can help inspire and educate some of the other creators out there to keep working at and making their ideas turn into a reality. And for those of you listening to the podcast, if there's one thing you can do to encourage and motivate other Kickstarter journeys, just take a minute and a dollar or two and support a project that catches your eye today. You might not be able to buy all the cool things we see, but that little bit can help their bottom line and keep their project moving in the right direction and thank you again jeff you've been an excellent guest and really insightful answers uh, and inspiring to see what you've done with canvas so well done yeah thanks for having me this was a lot of fun all right you take care sir